Hi, sports fans. On today's episode of A Voice Unheard, we're going to dive into a little politics and sports. Uh, But let's just give you a few of the headlines we're going to be talking about. However, Alden Smith may be on his way back into the NFL. My Dallas Cowboys may be close to signing out Alden Smith, which he was a pretty good player during his day before all the trouble started. And still, no job for Jameis Winston or Cam Newton as we speak today. And also, we'll be talking about Fabian Lovett. I want to congratulate this young man for entering the transfer portal. Hopefully, he'll be leaving Mississippi State. Mike Leake does not deserve to have players like that. And also, he doesn't deserve the players for their blood, their sweat, and their tears from any more of these young black athletes because he simply doesn't respect them. And he, Mike Leake is the type of guy that it's really, he's like, he, sees, he, 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 he gives dog whistles out to the uh, Trump base. You know, and, and what he is saying is, hey, guys, I may not be able to say a lot of things I want to say because I'm the coach of Mississippi State, but I want you to know I got your back. And we cannot have a coach like this coaching young kids in, in college football. And also, I want to say congratulations to um, Timmy which we all know him as Timmy Duncan for going to the NBA or the College Hall of Fame. (coughs) Excuse me. So you got Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Kobe Bryant elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Well deserved to those gentlemen. And also... I want to talk a little bit about the stimulus checks that are going to be going out here soon. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, here's the schedule for when the paper checks will be mailed. And this was obtained from the Washington Post. Now, if you earn less than $20,000, the checks will go out on on May the 1st. If you earn less than $30,000, the checks will go out on May the 8th. If you earned less than forty thousand, the checks will go out May the fifteenth. If you earn less than fifty thousand, the checks will go out on May the twenty third. If you earn less than sixty thousand, the checks will go out on May the twenty ninth. If you earn less than seventy, the checks will go out on June the fifth. And if you earn less than $80,000, the checks will go out on June the 12th. And if you earn less than $90,000, the checks will go out on June the 19th. If you earn less than $100,000, the checks will go out on June the 26th. If you earn less than $110,000, the checks will go out on July the 3rd. If you earn less than 120000 the checks will go out July the 10th. And if you earn less than 130000 the checks will go out on July the 17th. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about your adjusted gross income, which is called the AGI. Now, on your last tax return, if you earn under 75000 you'll get roughly $1,200. Now, if you filed as head of the household and you had an AGI under $112,000, you will get $1,200. For every dependent age 16 or younger in your household, you'll get $1,500. If you had an adult dependent or students in college, you won't get a payment for them. But if your most recent AGI was between $75,000 and $99,000, dollars 
you'll get less than 1200 but you'll still get a payment. The same goes for a joint filer with an AGI between 150000 and 198000 And if you're ahead of a household with an AGI between 112000 and 146000 you'll get less than a full payment. But you'll get something. You can use a relief check calculator like this one to find out how much you'll get. And also, I like to talk a little bit about who we've lost this week. We lost one of the late great songwriters, Bill Withers. Bill Withers wrote a couple of very big songs. And he wrote some of the most enduring classic songs, including Ain't No Sunshine, Lean On Me, When You're Not Strong. I used to love that song. And another one he wrote was Lovely Day, Lovely Day, Lovely Day, Lovely Day. I used to love that song. His best song was I Can't Write Left-Handed. And really what he was talking about, I believe it was, was during the Vietnam War, which brings me to another subject. I would like to know, and I would love to talk to veterans, United States veterans, who support Donald J. Trump. For the life of me, I cannot understand a guy that got five deferments when he was avoiding the Vietnam War. But I can't understand for the life of me how guys, veterans, who fought in wars and who served their country follow this guy. Because we all know he was a rich guy, a spoiled brat who avoided the draft, but yet and still, he talks and acts like he's the most dedicated American ever. Like he is so patriotic. It's sickening to me to see that our veterans are still following a guy like this who didn't serve one day in the military. But he talks as though he is the most patriotic person in the world. How can this be? Veterans, how can this be that you follow this guy? And while I'm on the subject of Donald Trump, let's talk about his recent coronavirus update that he gives on a daily basis where he parades these clowns out here and, and he just talks about stuff that's not important. Talking about Certain companies gonna hire this many people, this many pay. You know, you know we got people dying, and all Donald Trump's talking about. Eh, if we only have a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand people dying, that's not bad. When he's talking about when it could have been a two million, two million if if his administration hadn't done anything. Well, to me, his administration hasn't done anything. You know, you got his son-in-law coming out talking about our stockpile. Did Jared Kushner forget that we are tax-paying Americans? If it's his stockpile, then it's our stockpiles because we are all Americans. So, Jared Kushner, don't get it twisted. You know, and Donald Trump's talking about it's up to the states to get their own masks, to get their own ventilators. Really? Where's the leadership in our country right now? You know, all Donald Trump done in this leadership has closed down a pandemic office two years ago, him and John Bolton, because, you know, they said it wasn't no risk or nothing like that. What they were looking for was terrorists. They weren't looking for viruses. And that was part of the pandemic office was 
part of the national security to search the world for these type of things. But Donald Trump closed them down, him and Bolton, not only closed the one down in, a, in the United States, he closed the one down in China. So, and he said that he doesn't bear any responsibility for this. Imagine what we could have done had we been forewarned about this virus. I think we was warned in January. But imagine if we could have been warned in December when our pandemic office and our office over in China would have been looking into these instances that was going on and why this was going on. But no, our great president, let him tell it, closed the office. But there's not enough talk about this. And you hear recently, Dr. Fauci has been threatened by the right wing because all they're thinking about is money. They're not thinking about the health and welfare of other people. All they're thinking about is their pockets. You got the people over at Fox, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingalls, all these clowns talking about, oh, this is a hoax. This is not really going on. We only got five cases. Well, as you see now, five cases done bloomed into 165,000 cases with damn near 9,000 people dead. And it's continuing. You have people like Florida didn't want to close their borders, didn't want to close the beaches, but now they've been hit hard. We got people in Louisiana who went on with Mardi Gras because they was listening to the president say, oh, there's nothing to worry about. Go ahead with Mardi Gras. Now they're being hit bad. New Jersey has been hit bad. Over 6,700 cases up in New Jersey. I think it's somewhere like a hundred and something thousand cases in New York alone. And also, now, down in Georgia, where a governor didn't want to heed the warnings of the scientists. Like his Republican leaders, Donald Trump, he did not want to heed the warnings from the scientists. I'm going through a little bit like that myself at home, where my daughter is on me about every little thing, and I'm the most cautious person out there now, wearing gloves, wearing masks, and every day I come home, there's a whole nother set of rules and stipulations that I have to go through. But I, like most Americans, is trying to get through it. And today, it'll be another update from the Trump administration about the coronavirus. Virus. This guy, he wanted to get the, the country up and running by Easter. And it came on the following day, maybe by the end of April. Now you look at it. He had a conference calls with the NBA commissioners and all the commissioners in the major league sports in America. Now you hear talking about he hopes to have everything up and running by the end of August, late June or July, and maybe up by August. So having said that, then the only major league sports we're going to see is the NFL. So, you know, we look like we done lost our season for basketball, which is hard to swallow, which is my one of my uh, favorite sports. <laughs> and also, baseball might get started up sometime in June. And, you know, it'd be kind of nice to get back to normal activities because you miss kind of seeing the sports on TV watching the little sports center, listening to loud mouth Stephen A. Smith run off at the mouth 
this guy think he knows a little bit about everything. And sometimes you just get tired of listening to him. I used to listen to the Stephen A. Smith show. And he was such an arrogant guy. You know, sometimes he would talk like, this is my show. You know, arrogant. Like, okay, dude, you're lucky to have a show like that. As many Americans who call into your show just swallow their pride and listen to your egotistical rants. Like, if you're going to call my show, you better well know what you're talking about. You know, if I got paid $10 million a year to talk about something I love to talk about, I guess I'd be kind of um, uh, a different different player in the game. But, you know, having said that, let, let, let me switch back to Alden Smith coming back into the NFL. I'm uh I'm great I'm greatly appreciative that he's getting a second and third chance in the in the NFL. Many people don't believe that you should get two and three chances to play in the NFL. You know, you you know, one of the worst things that really irks me is to hear certain people in the NFL NFL say it's not a right to play in the NFL. It's a privilege. Really? Nobody really wants to hear that crap from some of them guys on ESPN talk about, you know, if it's a privilege to play football, oh, it's a privilege to wreck your body and kill your brains and, uh, you know, be in a wheelchair at 50. <laughs> you know, I guess it's worth I guess it's worth it if you make that kind of money. I guess you can sacrifice. You ain't thinking about the you know, the future, you're just thinking about now and all those thousands and thousands of dollars you can make. But if you think about the NFL and their whole setup, kind of reminds you of slavery a little bit. You know, like when they draft you, they bring you in and they walk you up on a stage and it's like a meat market. Then they tell you to turn around, you got your shorts on, Got your shirt off, all that kind of stuff. And if you ever seen some of those old movies, Roots and all those things, you know, they would bring the slaves down there to sell them, and, you know, they would have chains around their neck. But the, but the difference is that, you know, you're getting paid in the NFL, and that, but, um, you know, back during the slavery days, you just had to come and do what they told you to do. But, I mean, I guess it would be kind of hard to parade yourself out there in your shorts. And, you know, you walk out and these guys telling you to turn this way, turn this way. They want to see how high you can jump, how fast you can run. You know, it's just like really a meat market, really. But they know in the NFL... The NFL's career is only like four years at best. And then when you get into your third and fourth year or you're trying to get a second contract, they know you're getting old. They're not going to try to sign you to a long-term deal. You know, look at Todd Curley just the other day. He got cut. His body's wore down. Then, you know, the next running back that's going to be wore down maybe Ezekiel Elliott but he did the smart thing and held out for a bigger contract this year and the thing that really wears me is somebody like a Derrick Henry who is definitely the workhorse right now for the Tennessee Titans so they gave him a tender offer franchise tagging but man if I'm Derrick Henry and, and the things and what he did last year he deserves a long-term contract right now because about the time he gets done in Tennessee, he is going to be really, really wore out. They're going to wear him out up to 200 carries a, a season. That's going to take his toll, and he's one of those big bruising type. Reminds me of uh, Earl Campbell, and the last time I seen Earl Campbell, he couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair, and he ran – and Derrick Henry runs just like Earl Campbell. So, if I'm Derrick Henry, take care of your body, young man. Make sure you get your money. And 
And, you know, all you running backs, make sure you get your money out there because these guys, NFL, these guys will wear you down. And next thing you know, you'll be coming back to the games like some of the Bengals. i tell you one of the most embarrassing things was I was going to a Bengals game one time, man, and I seen some of the former players of the Cincinnati Bengals coming through the uh, turnstiles with me. How embarrassing is that? You know, you a former Bengal player, and yet you still have to pay for a ticket. You still have to go to the through the same turnstiles as the fans. And that brings me to another subject, which shows the Bengals never, never, until recently, really, really bring back their former players. You never really, very seldom hear of a former Bengal player working with the team. I think the most you'll see is Anthony Munoz. He gets to do their games during the preseason. But wouldn't you want one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time, a Hall of Famer, to be uh, working in your organization? And I think Anthony Munoz is the only Hall of Fame Cincinnati Bengal that, that is in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if Ken Anderson, the quarterback, ever got in. No, Isaac Curtis ain't in. Or Lamar Parrish. But maybe the Snake's in. I have to look that up. So if any of you out there know of Ken Rowley, nicknamed the the Snake, is in the Hall of Fame, let me know. I know Charlie Jordan may have gotten close, but he had to leave the Bengals in order to get to another team, in order to finish off his career to try to get to the NFL Hall of Fame. So hopefully, you know, we'll see more Bengals get into the Hall of Fame. But let me transition back to my Dallas Cowboys. So what are we going to do? I think we just recently had one of my our offensive linemen retire. So... That's going to leave a hole in offensive line position. And now with the addition of Alden Smith, I'm really looking forward to Alden Smith becoming a Dallas Cowboy because I still think he has something in the tank. The guy, when he last played, I think it was the year before he last played, I think he had like 30-something, like 20-something sacks or 30 sacks. I know he was on his way to a, a fabulous career but before he was derailed by uh, drugs and alcohol and so you know so hopefully you know he can make a good comeback and kudos out to Jerry Jones for giving this guy a second chance so you know hopefully if Jerry Jones signed you then there's a chance that you may have something left you know so so hopefully Alden Smith can come back and make an impact for my cowboy who's who has been thoroughly underachieving. So, but one other thing I want to talk about is what is the NBA going to do? What can they do? So, I mean, you have to listen to the scientists and, you know, the governors are locking down everything. Just recently, I went to the store this morning. You know, now... You know, you get a chance to relate back to what the Depression was like back in the 1920s. I went to Sam's store this morning. Man, what a smack in the face of how well we've had it for a long time in the United States. You know, in order to go into Sam's, you have to have social distancing. And so everybody was six to seven yards apart. And it was a line around a building. Man, it felt awful awkward waiting in the line to go into Sam's. Then when you went in there, I mean, you're only allowed to buy uh, maybe one or two of uh, certain items like toilet paper, wipes, and stuff like that. So, you know, and these people are snatching it up. So, I think it's starting this Monday. 
that you're going to have to, the store can only have so many people in there at a time. So the governor is imposing that, that um, so many people be in a store at one time. So starting this Monday, you're going to see people waiting in line to go to Kroger's, Sam's, Walmart, you know, so you know how bad the country is when you have to wait in line to go to the store to pick up groceries. You know, so this makes you appreciate what when we used to just walk into the store and just get what you get and walk out. Now, it's all going to be people waiting in the line waiting for people to leave the store before you can go in. It's going to be like a crowded disco or something like when you was younger when you went out to the disco club and it was packed. You had to wait till somebody came out before they let somebody in. Man, that wasn't that fun back then either. So, you know, but you also got some people hoarding certain items. You know, because nobody... You know, there's so much fear going on right now that it's the not knowing what's going to happen the next day, which is um, really, really putting a lot of fear in the country. But, you know, now is really not the time to be really tearing the country apart because really you need to try to stick together as a country. But our country is so divided right now because of one Donald J. Trump and the people who voted for him that you don't know if it's going to ever return to normal. You know, we tried to impeach this guy to keep our Constitution, to keep our American way going, but these Republican senators voted to, um, to not impeach him. So you have some people standing up for our rights and our constitution, but you got other people with different agendas trying to go back to the way good old boy days, the way it used to be. And they're trying to get back to the nepotism to where, you know, they're just hard air family, which is pretty prevalent in Cincinnati, especially if you used to go downtown in Cincinnati and go into the, uh, Hamilton County Court Office, the police station, or being a policeman, you'll see certain guys on, on the police force, all graduates of uh, Elder High School, all on, the, all on the police force. You know, so, but these are some of the topics that I just wanted to touch today to get them off my chest, to let you guys know that, you know, there are other voices out there that need to be heard. And that's why I came up with this show, A Voice Unheard, uh, because we need to hear from different people, different perspectives, instead of, you know, turning it on, you got to listen to the same old people on Fox who's lying to the country. But they got, Fox is like a cult. They capture the imagination of our older, our older generation. You know, and they start believing them. And they was really believing them through this uh, pandemic. Like, oh, ain't nothing wrong. And Donald Trump telling people nothing was wrong. Sean Hannity telling people there was nothing wrong. But our older generation who listened to them people was believing what they were saying. And it was all misleading information that they was giving to the public. So I hope those people on Fox wake up and the people that watch that network wake up and, and, and switch to some stations that's going to tell you the truth. MSNBC. People with a heart. People with integrity. You know, not just people out there circulating news. They're circulating good news. Not the news that Donald Trump always says fake news. Nothing more fake than number 45. So this is Mitch Mays for Sports, a voice unheard, signing off. 
for the next 24 hours. You guys have a great day. Hi, y'all. Welcome to A Voice Unheard. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of conversation going around since this thing's coming on about Michael Jordan. I think it is this Sunday about who was the best college basketball player of all times. You know, they're gonna come. They're gonna come up with names that, you know, that may be interesting. But to me, one of the best or the best college basketball player of all time is none other than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now you think about it. This guy couldn't play his freshman year. But after his freshman year, he went on and won three national championships. And some would argue that he was surrounded by star players. But you can reverse that and say those players were around Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, and some people say Michael Jordan, Jeffrey Jordan, was the best college player of all time. No, not really. Michael only won one national championship. But he was surrounded by a cast of Sam Perkins, Brad Darty, James Worthy, Kenny Smith, Jimmy Black. And so his cast was unbelievable. And you know and I know LeBron didn't go play college ball, but yet that's another show I like to talk about. <clears throat> and so, you know, they've been arguing about Michael Jordan being the best player of all time. I beg to differ on this one. If you look at Kareem back when the UCLA teams was winning 10 straight national championships, he would have won four had he been able to play his freshman year. So by far, he would have been the, the most, most dominant player of the 20th century had he played in his first year at UCLA. So let's go on and talk about some of the best college players of all time. And, and like I said, the top of my list is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And second on my list is none other than Bill Walton. But I can go on and argue about all of these. I mean, like, look at the players that were surrounding Kareem. Michael Warren, Sidney Wiggs. You know, those are legendary players in themselves. And, you know, UCLA at the time, they was just a feeding system. They had a feeding system. I mean, John Wooden had players coming in, Marcus Johnson, every year coming in ready to uh, restock uh, UCLA Bruins. But let me get back to my list. And if you think about it, like I said, you had the great... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then you had Bill Walton, then you had Michael Jeffrey Jordan. You know, Mike only won one national championship, but the one he had won, he did hit a big shot. But then you get back to some of these guys who were great college players. You look at Daryl Griffith in the 80s with the, um, the Louisville Cardinals. You look at Isaiah Thomas back in the 80s with Indiana and that crazy coach of theirs, Bobby Knight. But then, you know, one of the players that is on my list that, you know, when people are talking about the best college players of all time, you really don't hear Magic Johnson who led Michigan State, I believe it was the two Final Fours. I mean, the year before that, they got knocked out by the great Kentucky team. 
But then Magic came back his sophomore year and led him to the championship game. So his two years while he was there, he was phenomenal. So you cannot discount Magic's championship run at Michigan State. And following Magic, you have to think about Larry Bird, who led a really an unheard of team of Indiana State to the national championship game. What a run that was by Bird and that uh, Indiana State team. You know, and you think about Bird, they were undefeated going into that championship game versus Magic Johnson. And, you know, that was a great game in itself, although Bird didn't shoot that well. He had an off night. But, I mean, what he did during that season speaks for itself. And and then there's another player that real people ain't really talking about, Patrick Ewing, when he led Georgetown into the Sweet 16, the Final Four. You know, he, he had a great couple, three years at Georgetown. Then people ain't talking about the Houston Cougars, who were probably in the Final Fours two or three straight years, losing to Georgetown one then losing to North Carolina State in the championship game. And they had several great outstanding players. You think about them, Clyde the Glide Drexler, uh, Michael Young, Akeem Olajuwon, Larry Meshaw. Those guys had an excellent, excellent team, and they were in the Final Four constantly. So, you know, you can't forget about those players. And you definitely can't forget about players like Mark Aguirre, who led his DePaul Blue Devil Demons on an unbelievable run. Mark Aguirre, Terry uh, to play for the Milwaukee Bucks, Clyde Bradshaw. Oh, Terry Cummins was his name. And they was built to go for a couple years. So you definitely can't forget about Mark Aguirre. So, you know, and that's, you know, and, and to me, you can't forget about Oscar Robinson or the University of Cincinnati, who had a great run in the 60s. I think they went to two or three national championships, winning one. I think the one they won was after the big old left. So what's what's that say about that team that they had up up in Clifton at the University of Cincinnati? So, you know, there was a lot of great players back then, man. And, wow, I really missed those guys. And, you know, and other great players back, I believe, late 70s, early 80s that I really enjoyed watching was um, play for the Milwaukee Bucks, Sidney Moncrief had an excellent college career, an excellent pro career, and he was an excellent, a damn good college basketball player. You know, so there's so many players out there that you can really tap if you want to, and and it's, it'd be really hard to pick, you know, a starting five out of all those guys because they all did so many different things for their team. You look at Isaiah, how they went on that run at Indiana, man. Isaiah just wheeled that team, man. That was one of the greatest performances I ever seen in college basketball outside of when Carmelo led Syracuse to their national championship. And, you know, you think about James Worthy, what he did. He was the most valuable player that uh, Final Four, that championship team that Michael Jeffrey Jordan hit that jump shot on. You know, and Worthy went on to a great NBA career. I think he won four or five championships with the Lakers. And and look at Perkins, had a great NBA career. Then Brad Darty had a great NBA career. 
Kenny Smith had a great NBA career, winning two NBA championships with the Houston Rockets. So, you know, you just can't say that team wasn't loaded because they were. I think Michael was a freshman. He averaged about 9 or 10 points, and they always say the only person that really held Michael Jordan back was Dean Smith, the coach. But I like this system. I mean, what no one player like you see today, ball dominant, where one player would dribble the ball 15, 20 times before he passes and shoot. Back then in those uh, North Carolina teams, you had to move the basketball. You had to move yourself. You had to move your feet. So, you know, Michael wasn't going to get 25, 30 points a game because he didn't really get that many shots. I think he averaged 15, 16 shots a game during that run because there were so many other players around him. But they was they weren't as efficient as, you say, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He didn't get – Kareem might have got 20, 50, maybe 20 to 15 shots a game. But, but, you know, back then teams played more of a motion offense. You didn't have that ball-dominant player. But they knew – who the horse was on them UCLA teams. And you look at Dean Dean Smith, the way he orchestrated his teams, it didn't really show one player or showcase a Michael Jordan, didn't really showcase a James Worthy. It showcased team basketball, which is missing today. It would be tough for players of the 80s and the 90s maybe to play in today's basketball games because everybody is so ball-dominant, dribbling 15 to 20 times before they make a pass. And when we was growing up playing in the 80s and 90s, the emphasis was on you have to know what you're going to do with the ball when it comes to you. Either you're going to pass it or shoot it. There wasn't no other way to look at it. Movement was a... Emphasized them. You had to move without the basketball. You had to cut. You had to cut hard. But in today's game, players just stand around and watch the other player play. I think I would have trouble playing with a player like that where you just stand around and watch him do what he do. If he can't get nothing out, you like a bailout for him. He'll pass it to you. I mean, with the shot clock going down. I've seen that so many times. Like when I watch LeBron play, in, in the 2000s, you, you, you look at a guy like J.R. Smith or or Cal Colvert or like even uh, the coach for the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, John Paxson, those was bailout guys for Michael Jordan. So, you know, if you look at, you know, those guys had to wait around and see what Michael was going to do. It's tough to play when you got guys like that where you have to sit there and wait to see if he is going to pass the ball to you or, you know, what to do. So the shots you got weren't a lot of shots, but when you did get shots, you had to make them count. So that's what your self-worth was back there when you played with like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant and even today a LeBron James. You know, you had to wait around and wait. You was the bailout guy for those guys. So, you know, you got to give those guys a lot of credit, you know, for being able to play with those type of guys. But in, but as far as, con, as, as I'm concerned, the best college basketball player of all time is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, bar none. So let's put that argument to rest. And let's not even try to um, – justify arguing that Michael Jordan was the best college player of all time because he wasn't. One one national championship to three. Bill Walton, I think, might have had three also. So, you know, you go with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, Oscar Robinson, Daryl Griffith, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, you know, those guys, you know, they did a great job back then in wheeling their teams 
to national championships, and they were great, great players. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little politics on today's show. And one of the things is because you see what's going on around the United States. It's a travesty. Almost 30,000 people died. Almost 500,000 are infected with this coronavirus. All because we had one man who tried to go on a hunch or his feelings instead of listening to the experts about shutting the country down. And all he's worried about was getting the economy going back up. And, you know, that's the narcissism of, of these type of individuals like Donald Trump and the Republican Party. All they ever think about is, all they ever think about is money. So, and let's put this into context. You know, you can't really, you can't really, you know, spend the money if you ain't healthy. So you got all these conservatives talking about open the country, but people are constantly getting this coronavirus. No social distancing or whatever, you know, but all they thinking about is going out there and spending money. And this is a, a true test of the character of the people that some of you people are listening to. You listening to that crazy Fox News? That's all those people care about is money, you know. So, of course, they want the economy. They want everything opened up because they're not up there in New York where people are dying, dying without their family around them. What kind of crap is that? Seems like Armageddon, you know. All because we in America didn't heed Hillary Clinton's warning that this guy was a chaos man. He's going to be a chaos president. And this is what's happening. You heard from an experienced woman in Hillary Clinton say that this guy is a chaos person. But yet, America thought they needed a change. And look at the change we're getting now. You know, this guy closed the pandemic office, him and Bowden, because they didn't think that it was making enough money. Okay, they closed the CDC office in China because he just thought that we was giving away money. But no, he didn't think about the preventative measures that these agencies are there for. No, he decided to close them on his whim. You know, his motto was drain the swamp. He is literally draining the swamp. All the agencies up there that he closed have not been reopened, have not been filled, because you guys wanted a change in America. And he is running America like he ran his corporations and his businesses where he failed to operate them properly. A lot of closings, a lot of failures. So now, look in the mirror at yourself and say, was it worth it? And I can guarantee, I would like to know how many people that have caught the coronavirus or have died from the coronavirus, I would like to know how many of those really, really voted for Trump. And if they did, you know, I know, I know they're shaking their heads now. Because this guy is definitely, he's what you call uh, the quadruple D's. And let me say that again. And quadruple D's 
is really uh, uh, an antonym for, excuse me, an acronym for Dirty Donald Destroying Democracy. And that's literally what he's doing. He is destroying democracy. He has put all of these Federalists on the courts. And so his plan was to come in, stack the Supreme Court, him and uh, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, uh, Donald Trump won Mitch McConnell over by appointing his wife to a cabinet position. Her family's prominent Shipney people over in China. And, and, and that's why probably Kentucky's getting all these uh, good transportation positions and all that good stuff. So he won Mitch McConnell over, and Mitch McConnell has done nothing but enabled Donald Trump through all his misdeeds. So, you know, we are getting what we deserve to be getting from this guy because people with common sense knew this guy was a failure. All he thinks about is money. And people are not his concern. So when all this guy is thinking about is money, we are expendable. We, the American people, are expendable to this guy. He sits up there and say, you know, if we only lose one to two million people, you know, that's a victory. And does he even know that one death is too many from this outbreak that really should have been contained and and forewarned us way back in December, November? But the do-nothing, Donald Trumpers, the senators, the guys who enabling this guy to do what he's doing has really just took us apart. And you think about it. You know, this guy continues to try to destroy democracy. So he's living up to that name of Dirty D's because he is trying or he is doing what he wants to do in the White House. He says he's going on instincts, not to close the country down. He has an instinct that we got it contained when we had one case. He says, oh, we got it contained. Not listening to the science or scientists or the experts. Quadruple D, he had a whim. He had a feeling. He didn't listen to his daily briefings and coming from his cabinet members. If he had a he had seen that they wrote about this way before it happened. And he stockpiling PPE equipment for the government. Duh, dirty quadruple D, the United States citizens are the government. So he continues to live up to his name of quadruple D. Dirty Donald destroying democracy and it's hard to sit by and watch this and when you hear and you try to listen to people justify his behavior which is really embarrassing you know the guy's been married three times that's not a guy you want for a role model if you want your kids to continue being you know, role models for their children. So, you know, we was forewarned about this clown. I call him, I call him the clown prince of politics, you know, because he's making a joke and a mockery out of the whole system. But yet, and let's talk about his, uh, his supporters, his cowardices. You, you think about all them uh, Republican cowardness, cowards who keep enabling this quadruple D to do what he continues to do. Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, 
and and all those Republicans are really showing America what they're all about. You know what? Where where are these? Where are the true Republicans, if there's any out there, that care about people? All the Republicans care about is their pockets, and now innocent peoples are are dying because Donald wanted to drain the swamp. So in in draining his swamp, like I told you early in the podcast, he uh, closed the pandemic office, part of draining the swamp. He closed the CDC office over in China, part of draining the swamp. He continually keeps cutting programs that Obama had, part of his draining the swamp that we're supposed to help people. So, you know, this guy really doesn't care about people. He just cares about the old bottom line. And his conservative buddies, that's all they care about is making money. So if you're not healthy enough to spend this money, what good is it to you? If your family members are dying because of the coronavirus and because the decisions are great leaders supposed to be is making, then what good is money? Donald Trump is everything we thought he was going to be. He's a failure as a businessman. He's a failure as a person. He's a failure as a president. And so why why think anything different that this guy, that we wasn't going to fail as a country? You know, and it, it makes me, it saddens me because we have to be a part of this. When this country was moving in the right direction of inclusion of all people, not just people that look like Donald Trump, all people, black, brown, yellow, people coming from all over the world. But this guy, we was moving in the right direction. This country was headed in the right direction. But now look at it. He's trying to turn back the hands of time. And I fear that the closer we got to his election, when you would go to different cities and you see all these people supporting Donald Trump, you knew what that was all about. His race baiting to his base, to to these people that think just like him, hate anybody that's not his color, and to his base, generally. His base is that type of people. But hopefully, we as Americans can overcome this travesty that's been in the White House for the last four years. We have an opportunity in November to go to the polls regardless of his gerrymandering, closing down voting offices all over the country, making a mockery out of the system, the whole state of Wisconsin, he, he opened six voting places for all these people to come and vote with this pandemic going on. So that tells you right there the... Republican Party in a nutshell. They're only for people that look like them. But they're allowed to. They're allowed to act this way because there's no one calling them out. No senators, no all those coward Republicans are not calling them out. Let the truth be said. Rob Portman of Ohio, Steve Shabbat of Ohio, enablers of this clown enablers of Dirty Donald or enablers of Quadruple D 
dirty Donald destroying democracy. So, for Voices Unheard, I'm out. Have a great day.